Well, hey, what's going on, beautiful family of God? How are we in here? We good? We good? Cool. Hey, a really quick glimpse into my emotional heart, because I am an emotional guy. Uh, it is very frequent that the Lord gives me this, like, overwhelming affection for y'all and for y'all. Uh, and, you know, once again, I'm an emotional guy anyway, so... Take it as you will. Uh, but I feel like I'm also really decent with words. And sometimes it's hard for me to communicate how much I love you guys as a church body. Like, it is a joy to be a part of what God is doing together and to be able to be with one another and to serve one another. And I just want you to know how proud I am of this church and how much I see God moving. And I'm just glad to be a part of what God is doing. And I pray that really Christ would be exalted as we love one another in each of our hearts hearts and in the world around us that he would be made much of. And so I love you guys like crazy. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to tell you that I love you. When I say that, I mean that, okay? This also isn't a rebuking sermon. And so don't think I'm like love sandwiching here. I'm just telling you I love you. Right? And so I hope you know that, okay? So thank you, thank you. All right, so we ready? Y'all ready? Yeah? Okay. Nehemiah chapter 7 is where we will be today. Uh, and as we're diving in, I want to kind of set pace as to what's happening a little bit. This whole book has been about building this wall, uh, really despite opposition, so that Israel would be protected as a nation. And two weeks ago, after our winter vacation last week, right, <laughs> uh, Yusuf preached on them finishing the wall. And that was Nehemiah chapter 6. And we have seven chapters left, okay? And that verse about finishing the wall was like two verses long, okay? It was like, and they built the wall, bet, good job. <laughs> Chapter seven, right? And it's like, that's it, you know? It's kind of like, like if you were like longing for marriage, let's just say, and you finally met that guy or, or met that gal and, and they're the one, right? And you propose and the book is about your wedding, all right? And so it's kind of building up to this wedding and you got the haters that are trying to break you up, but you ain't finna have that. This this is your band, right? And uh, you're getting ready for the ceremony. And then you get to the ceremony. It's like, y'all trying to get married in this mug? Cool, y'all is. Chapter seven, <laughs> right? I was like, that's it, <laughs> right? Like, at least show them taking pictures in this joint, okay? Uh, and so you would think that the book of Nehemiah was about to be done. And in a lot of ways, it actually is just beginning. Yeah, yeah. This is the start of Nehemiah in a lot of real ways. The mission and vision that came from God to build a wall had very little to do with the wall itself. This was a functional element to bring about something far greater because it was not about a wall. It is about worship. And it was not about protection. It's about God's people. It was not about rebuilding temporarily, but it was about redemption eternally. And that's what this book is about. The mission and the vision, the task and the duty of wall building was actually so that the covenant community could come together and worship their King. And so I think about even the well, like when we started this series, we uh, were thinking about a potential building and even asking for a foreign king. And look, we'll still take that foreign king, okay? Like, I'm not done with that promise. And I hope that God comes through in a lot of ways. But even if we were to build a gathering place, that is not the mission and vision of the well. It is an immediate need to accomplish the greater vision. And the same is true here in this book. The wall was an immediate need to accomplish a much greater 
bigger and a grander vision for the purpose of man to be exposed, the worship of our gracious, exalted, beautiful, messianic king and savior. That's what the book was about. And so that's why in a lot of ways, the book is just now starting. And so part two of Nehemiah, we're rounding second base and we're gonna pick it up in chapter seven. uh, And I'm gonna have my friend Rachel uh, kick that off for us. And so Rachel, take that away. Hey, Wall family. My name is Rachel Saputro. I'm a part of the Sola CG. I'm a covenant member at the Wall, and I help lead the Connections team. Today I'll be reading from Nehemiah 7, verses 1 to 5. Now when the Wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, several cool things here. We're actually gonna work this passage backwards a little bit. So notice there in verse five on the screen that God is now building upon Nehemiah's vision. Originally, the vision was to build a wall And this kind of began the vision, but now it is to build God's people, to establish God's covenant community. So notice that God put it on Nehemiah's heart, it says there. And a very simple takeaway for us, an application really right from the jump is that every time you are faithful with one aspect of what God is calling you to do in your life, he continues to give you more. He adds on to the vision. When you're faithful with little, he will add on to it, family. It's really simple. When you're obedient after he speaks in one area, he keeps speaking, y'all. And if we want to hear God's voice more, then we have to do what he's calling us to do today. And this is why we keep saying, whatever he's calling you to do, maybe he's calling you to disciple your daughter more or to read your Bible more consistently or to go to community group and just try one out or to take this short-term mission trip or to share the gospel with your neighbor or to be more consistent in prayer. Whatever the spirit of God is calling you to do, as you are faithful, it builds. And God's voice becomes more clear and the vision becomes more clear in a lot of ways. This is true corporately of us as a church. As we plant churches, as we make disciples, as we push back darkness, vision builds or it redefines, it shapes in a lot of ways. It is true individually with us as well as we walk in obedience to our master and king. As we obey him, he builds on that vision. And so God's vision for you might be to lead God's people in a community group, which is why he's telling you today to kill that sin and to read your Bible more because you don't see what he's doing two years from now, but he sees it because he already exists there. And so as we are faithful with little, God will give us more. That is true all throughout scripture. Nehemiah was faithful to the original vision. Now God is building on that vision. 
listen. His plans become more evidently clear as you listen to him and you hear God more real in your hearts, family. You hear the voice of God. And so what was this greater vision, this increased vision? And why was the original purpose of the wall there? How is it adding on to that now? Very simply put, okay, it was to create a space so that the people of God could worship their God. This is the new vision now, the greater vision. This book is not a book about wall establishment. It's a book about worshipful exaltation, the establishment of the worship to the king of kings. Notice in verse one, the wall is done now, okay? And Nehemiah, he sets the gatekeepers, which is creating a place to gather. And then look at the screen. There's the singers and the Levites. Those are people that lead worship, okay? And in a few minutes, you'll read a passage where you see the word of God being preached and offerings being made and confession being had and festivals being practiced. This whole endeavor was to regather the people of God so that they might worship God together. In fact, that makes all the prior chapters make sense, doesn't it? Like the Israelites were not just facing human opposition as if they were trying to become a nation again. They were facing spiritual opposition because they were trying to worship God again. And yes, that opposition came through humanity, but nonetheless, as Yusuf said a couple of weeks ago, God wants to use us to build his kingdom. Satan also wants to use us to destroy God's kingdom. And so now we see why there was so much opposition because Satan did not want the worship of God. In fact, maybe that's why you are in opposition right now, why there are attacks happening on your personal life. God wants to use you and the enemy knows this and wants to prevent the worship of our king. And so that's why we need to stand fast against this. There's something bigger than national identity here in the book of Nehemiah. There's spiritual authority that's happening and worship and redemption. And that is most often communicated and clearly seen at the gathering of worship amongst God's people. That is where you see the spiritual kingdom flourish. When we gather, God is displayed. In fact, the people were so dedicated to the mission of God and the worship of God that Look there in verse four, they focused on God's plan before even building for themselves. You see, we often do the opposite, do we not? We try to build our home and then we serve God, right? We think once we get things in order, then we can give sacrificially, or then we can serve more readily, or then we will walk in God's plan more fully. And then we wonder why our life is often missing the blessing that our souls are craving. It's because we're not keeping it the way that God has intended it. Listen, that's true even if you do not know God. I know a lot of times there's a hesitancy to come into the family of God because you think you have to build your life first and then you can come into the church. You see, the church in a lot of ways is like a wall that has this spiritual protection element that as you come in, then the houses are able to be built. But a lot of times you try to build your life first and then come into the family of God. Do not wait for your life or your house to be fixed and then come into the family, come in and let's rebuild together. Like if you think that you're not moral enough to come into the church, we ain't either, y'all. I don't know if you've seen, but the church be wilding sometimes, right? And yet as we gather together, we are made into the image of God. Do not wait, come join us. If you do not know Jesus, come in and then begin to build your house as you meet the king of all kings, the one who actually builds a better house anyway. 
Because if you try to build your house, it is through human effort. But if you let the king build your house, it is a divine house that will not crumble. And so we see that uh, uh, evangelistically speaking for those who don't know Jesus, but we see that even in our own life, right? You see, Nehemiah, he gets this new vision is to gather the people to worship their God collectively, to have church, y'all. Like that's the language that's really happening here, right? They've been in exile. They've been unable to worship God corporately. They have all of this vision to then establish uh, even a a better uh, place of worship, even over their own livelihood is what we see here. Because even more than our own dwelling places, our souls need worship. Did y'all catch that? Even more than our own dwelling places, our souls need to worship, y'all. It's why when you go to third world countries on mission trips, they barely have uh, running water, and yet their souls are thriving in a way that you have never seen any American soul thrive. And we always get confounded and ask ourselves, like, how could they have so much joy and and they don't even have a home to live in? It's because they have their order rightly placed. They're seeking to worship God, and then he's adding all things to them like he promised he would in Matthew 6, 36. They are having spiritual things added that material things could never dream of building, and we tend to get that backwards, y'all. We try to build first and then add the spiritual, but even here we see, man, they're so focused on the gathering to worship God, they ain't even built their own homes yet, and we would be wise to take a playbook from this playbook here. And so the whole purpose is to have church, right? Right? You track in, right? Yeah. We preaching today, by the way, okay? Shoot. All right, now listen. And then we get another genealogy is what happens here, okay? No, we already did a genealogy sermon earlier in this series, and I'm not going to lie. I was tempted to do one here uh, because there's some dopeness in those names. This slaps, all right? But I figured two genealogy sermons a couple weeks apart, that's a little extra, all right? Uh, I will say, though, I do want you to real quick, if you have your physical Bibles or your phone, I want you to skim through those names really quickly here with me because there's actually two things here for us. We won't read all the names names today, but I want you to see how long your phone scrolls or your page turns and look at all those names here. Because first of all, all the families of Israel are coming back to worship God together. It wasn't just one tribe or just some priest or something. Everyone was coming back to worship God. God wants all people connected to him and worshiping him, okay? Second of all, all of these people matter. That's why they're in here again, while we get another genealogy. If this was uh, the well writing this story, it would be like, hey, this CG had 15 people, and, and this serving team had, had 43 people, and yo, this CG was rolling deep. They had 40 people in this mug, right? <laughs> and all of these people, just like us in the church, are all a part of the mission of God, though. For them to rebuild the nation, for us to build the kingdom, yes. all of these names matter. You matter. Your tribe matters. Your team matters. Your group matters. God has something that he wants you to do in this city, in this world, in your family, in this church for his name. And we got to believe that, y'all, and let that motivate us. And every time you serve, y'all, every time you give, every time you speak words of life, every time you challenge others towards godliness, every time you make sacrifices, every time you gather together to worship, God sees it, he accepts it, and he rewards it, y'all. Amen? Amen. This ain't no prosperity gospel talk either. 
need to, this is just truth, y'all. God sees it and rewards it, but he's pleased with it. And ultimately, he usually rewards it in you being transformed into the image of Christ, which is the greatest reward he could give. And so all these families, they all come back. There's this new mission and vision, and that mission and vision is to worship God corporately together, which is virtually what the rest of the book is about. And Nehemiah, he builds on this vision, He begins to execute this vision because he's a man of action, okay? And so let's jump over to chapter 8, and I'm going to have my friend uh, Megan read that, the newly engaged Megan, uh, read chapter 8, verses 1 through 6 for us. Hi, my name is Megan Dunnigan. I am a covenant member here at The Well, and I'm also a shepherd for the Central North Community Group. Today, I'm going to be reading from Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 6. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen, okay? Man, God's people, they're corporately gathering and worshiping. You see there in verse one, this has always been the rhythm of God's people, okay? Because this is a part of how you form Christ in God's people, the gathering together. So all of this prior effort to wall build now leads to a greater effort to soul build. And that's what's happening here. Notice how they're worshiping God with all of themselves, it says. Look there again in verse two, it says that uh, they're trying to have this understanding there. They're they're loving God with their minds, it says. And so this isn't just the feeling of worship. God does want our heart. That is a part of it without a doubt. But Christianity is not a mindless activity, y'all. In fact, if you remove the mind, you do not have worship. You have emotional superstition. God wants our heart, souls, mind, and strength because he created each of those things. And so we see them worshiping God with their mind. In fact, you see it in verse 2, 3, 5, 7, 8, and 12, all mentioned their understanding, them trying to grasp what was being said. But it's not just a mind thing. Realize that all of them is engaged, it says. They make sacrifices that we're going to see in a minute at the Feast of Booths, which uh, we see this as a very soul-oriented thing, a, a sacrifice of themselves. They understand and are attentive, it says, with their minds. They worship with their heart. They feel it. There's weeping in verse 9 and joy in verse 10, and they build tents and they repent with their strength or their actions. They are loving God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, really being disciples of Yahweh in a lot of ways. Notice also their longing for the word, right? They read it from early morning until mid-afternoon. And so I don't want to hear none of y'all complaining about my sermon going five minutes over no more. 
Shoot, right? Hallelujah, uh, right? But they're worshiping, right? And they're attentive to the word. They're responsive. They're blessing God and blessing God's people and worshiping God and loving God and thinking with their mind. And all of these things are happening as they're gathered together as the people of God. There was an affection to hear God's word preached and to read God's word, a, a delight in God's word. Shoot, do we have a desire for God's word like this, right? Please preach the word over me is what they're saying here. We want to hear the word. We want to receive the word because we realize that there's a life here. It produces repentance, we see in verse 9. It produces joy, we see in verse 10. Instruction, godliness, life, all of these things come through the word of God as we read it and as it is preached over us. They have in church in this mug, right? Y'all feel me? Like, man, I remember, see, I grew up in black church. When I went to white church and I realized like 90 minutes meant 90 minutes, I was like, I'm feeling this, Because growing up in black church, it's like you show up at 10 and then you got a worship song and then another worship song, but that worship song lasts for about 42 minutes. And then you got an offering, then another worship song, then another offering, then a sermon, then another worship song. We'd be in that mug till like 210. It's like, yo, the lions are playing or for y'all, the cowboys are playing, right? I used to hate it. I love it now, y'all, because it's like, man, they just want to be in the presence of God. I mean, you can get your exercise in, running around the tabernacle, you know what I'm saying? Filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? Okay, here we go. Like, they are having church in this mug, y'all, all right? Some of y'all caught that, all right? Uh, but look, verse 8 even, okay, you can read that there. Uh, but they're having community groups as well. So it's not just this emotional experience. I mean, they're also really trying to learn. And other people are teaching them the Word of God, it says. Let me give you an analogy to try to stress the point I'm really trying to make here, okay? Worship and gathering, I believe it's a lot like exercise for many. You see, uh, the regular habit of exercising is kind of a little bit of a task at times. There's like 15% of y'all that really love to exercise for whatever reason. The rest of us, it's a straight chore, okay? And listen, after working out like 28 times and still seeing very minimal results, it's easy to think that nothing's happening. However, over time, you realize that it's actually impacting every area of your life, right? You sleep better. Your skin is healthier. You're sick less. If you're married, there's benefits there too, okay? I'll let you Google that one, all right? Actually, be careful with that. Don't, don't Google that. Don't, don't, don't Google that, all right? And look, the same is true for worship, okay? Right? Look, all right, I lost him, all right? Ready? <laughs> don't Google that. The same is true for worship, right? Uh, like, listen, for real, if we attend church one Sunday, right, it may feel like, man, that, that was cool, right? Like, and, and maybe one CG, we're like, yo, I kind of like those people. But over time, we realize that they begin to form our souls into true disciples of Christ. And we're living in a climate, y'all, that has tried to disciple us out of the corporate gathering due to the inability to gather because of COVID. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. We have not been able to gather in a lot of ways, but we can mistakenly allow that to disciple us out of the regular habit of gathering together. And we can assume that we're doing okay because our lives are okay, but that just factually isn't true, y'all. We need to gather as a people of God. A person cannot eat healthy for a year and they feel it when they run a mile, but they don't necessarily see it when they look in the mirror because sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but over time,
time, the consistent unhealthy habit can lead to an early death. So you may think that corporate worship hasn't had that much of an impact on you, but go try to run a spiritual mile right now and see how your soul is feeling. We need to gather together as the people of God. Corporate worship is important for our formation as followers of Christ. Like, can I be real with y'all? I believe that this passage is divine by God for us in this moment to desire to worship together again. Because here's the deal. I also know that we can think that just meeting together is the end goal, right? Like we're done with COVID, we can meet again. Hallelujah, right? Like, and we can think that that's the end goal here, okay? But really, that's kind of like rebuilding the wall in a lot of ways. It is necessary, it's important, but it's only the beginning of the work of God. That, when we regather, is when the true work starts again, when we really begin to push back darkness again, even in our own souls. It is not the end game. It is the start of the next part of what God is really trying to do because gathering isn't the goal worship is. And so gathering isn't the goal, worship is, and yet part of worship is gathering. Y'all tracking with that there? Okay, so our gathering, it matters because it changes us and it invites us into worship, which is the goal of all of us as humanity. And so our public and our corporate worship, y'all, it matters because listen, it is a testimony to the world around us even. As they see us giving our affections to someone higher than ourselves and making sacrifices with our time and our money and our talent and our treasures and our lives to be in his presence and to be with his people. That's an evangelistic tool for the gospel. It is also a discipleship of our souls when we are together. It is an act of adoration towards our God. It is a means of grace by which we grow. It is a formation tool of the king. It is a momentary practice that foreshadows what will echo throughout eternity. Just as Adam said in the intro, that is wildly true. We are practicing an image eternity and producing hope in our souls to get there y'all worship gathering it matters y'all our souls need it they need it they need it y'all and so listen straight up please pray that we'd be able to meet together again soon because you may not even realize how much your soul misses it nor does the person who forsakes exercising realize how much they misses it and miss it until it's too late y'all And so we cannot be too late on this. Our souls, they matter. We were designed by God to worship corporately together. That's what a desire can we do. Listen, can I press in on this even a little bit more? Uh, Can I just, one more press on this, okay? Uh, Take an element of worship, like let's say singing, okay? Every time we sing to God, I think we can get it twisted sometimes, right? Like we believe that God needs our singing and that's why we're gathering. Like we're doing something for God when we gather, okay? But if God needed you to sing though, he probably would have given some of y'all a better singing voice. I stole that line from Anthony, by the way. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Listen, he wasn't saying that about me, though, all right? Don't get it twisted, all right? right? But listen, listen, listen. Singing, it isn't for him. It's for us, all right? You need to sing with others corporately. This is a heart issue for us. It forms us into the image of our God who is a worshipful God who sings over us. So when we sing, we're imaging God becoming into his image and being formed as disciples of Christ. 
And so it foreshadows our true home, producing hope, singing. It glorifies God. Don't get it twisted, but it isn't for God. He doesn't need it. You need it. And that's why we sing together. And so same thing, meeting is not for God. He doesn't need us to meet together as if he's lonely or we have to do this, right? He doesn't change. You change when we meet together, right? But he is pleased with it because he loves you and he wants your good. And that's where all of this comes together, okay? So I want to finish our text here. Come on, shoot, right? Hallelujah. All right, hey, listen. I want to finish our text because I think the point of worship and the importance of gathering is really drilled in on our last section. And I think we can find a lot of application here. So Nehemiah chapter eight, we're going to pick it back up in verse three. And I'm going to have my friend David read that for us. Take it away, DT. Hey, well, family. My name is David Tester, and my wife Andy and I just started shepherding the Pecan Springs CG, and I'm also a part of the production team. Today, we're going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. So notice again there in verse 13, uh, they were not just passively listening to the word on the first day, they were doing something too. They were trying to apply the word. There's your community group structure right there, okay? And so get into a community that helps you understand and apply the word of God. Do discipleship and meet with one another and let one of the main things that you do when you gather together be to seek to understand and apply the word of God, okay? Understand and apply, by the way, is what we wanna do here. Now, the Festival of Booths, just to give you a little bit of context here, was celebrated to remember how God sustained Israel when they were dwelling in tents, sojourning throughout the wilderness. So when they got into the promised land. They practiced it to remember God's provision for them. So this was actually a really great time to finish the wall because they had just been in another wilderness and God sustained them again, right? And though intense as exiles, they are now about to reestablish home in Israel as the people of God together. And he brought them together to do a greater work than they could even imagine at that moment, which was to bring forth the Messiah. So this act of obedience was a really beautiful display of God's provision historically and his coming provision in the future. In many ways, I believe that the well has also been in a season of wilderness, dwelling in tents. We do not have a home to meet in right now, right? And yet God is sustaining us anyway. And whenever God purposefully sustains you, you better believe that there's also a purposeful work planned by him. Right. 
Y'all ain't feeling that. I need to say that again, okay, right? Listen, whenever God purposefully sustains you, family of God, then you have to believe that there is also a purposeful plan that he wants to do through you. And maybe this is why, despite the emotional pain that you're in right now, God is sustaining you nonetheless. Maybe this is why, despite the struggle in your marriage, it is being sustained nonetheless. Maybe that's why in your job situation, no problem, God is sustaining it nonetheless. Maybe God has a beautiful plan for your life right now that it would be hard to imagine because of the messiness of the current situation. But if God is sustaining, there is also a plan to use that for his glory, which by the way, friends, this festival, okay, we see there it has not been kept for almost a thousand years prior, ever since the time of Joshua. But we actually see them at this moment, keep it and even practice it 400 years later at the time of Jesus, we see in John 6. After not practicing it for centuries, they were obedient to the word here, they began to practice it, and this impacted generations to come because of their present-day obedience. What you do now makes impact for the generations to come, family of God. What you do now matters, our present-day obedience, and makes ripples into the kingdom of God that lasts sometimes for all of eternity, y'all. And so this, it may seem like simple biblical obedience for you right now, right? Like, like killing that sin or, or doing discipleship on a bi-weekly basis. It may seem so small. That may have generational impact like you are unable to see, y'all. Be faithful what God is calling you to do, okay? By the way, about this feast real quick, a quick side point, but an important side point for us. There's something to be said about the men here. Look there again at verse 13. It says the heads of the father's household, right? We've honored women and their involvement throughout Nehemiah. And just like we need strong women, we need strong, godly, sacrificial men to complete the vision of God. Just as blessing and anointing seem to come through the presence of women, so too does kingdom expansion come through the sacrifice of men. So we need you, men of God. We need you to step up. You have a calling from God on your life. Let him speak to you and be obedient in that calling, men of God and women of God as well. So all of this passage to say what, okay? We need to meet together, y'all, right? Like, it's that simple and it's that important, okay? It is spiritually vital that we meet together. This was the greater mission of Nehemiah, the gathering of God's people, to worship the person of God together because we want to foreshadow our true home in a lot of ways. And part of what we're doing when we're gathering together is that very thing and our hearts worship because it knows it was created for something more than this earth. So our formation depends on us meeting together. And so a really easy application for our current church today, both now and in the future, is please pray for us to be able to do that, y'all. Like right now, our staff team and many people are looking at all of these buildings across the city trying to find a place for us to be able to worship again and to gather together. And we would ask that you would just pray with us, right? In fact, maybe you know that your grandma's uncle, whatever, is some pastor at some church that can fit our church. Man, hook us up, right? Like, ask him if we can meet in there straight up. And we'll meet on Saturday mornings or or do something. We just want to gather together at some point again as the people of God. Now look, just because your grandma got that really large living room that fits 30 of us, that ain't what we're talking about, okay? That's a, community group, might as well just meet and do the guy to gatherings, okay? 
And so, man, we want to be able to meet together and in a place like a Martin type of place where we were that fits six, seven hundred of us, where we are able to actually all gather together on a Sunday or on a Saturday to worship God together. That's an immediate application. We're trying to do that right now. In fact, I'm sick of touring places. We need to find a place, okay? And so please just pray for us in that. Or maybe still God is putting on your heart to speak to that foreign king to give us a place. We're still asking God that he would do that. Ask God with us in the midst of that. But even before we find that place, I would encourage you, man, meet in your community groups and and do the guided gathering together and actually show up to your groups on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it might be. And maybe your group is still on Zoom. Cool, show up, y'all. Like, let's meet together. Come to the outdoor thing on March uh, 14th. The outdoor thing. Celebration Sunday, right? (laughs) Come to it, okay? We want you there to celebrate. Something happens there, y'all, right? Something happens, okay? By the way, I want you to not just want to meet. I want you to long to meet. There's a difference between wanting it and longing for it and realizing the importance of it because it forms us into Christ-like men and women of God. Calling often comes in gathering, y'all. Don't miss that. Our calling often comes when we are gathered together. Healing often comes in our gatherings. Interaction with the presence and person of Christ often comes in our gatherings. So much happens here. And so pray that we'd be able to do this again with wisdom, yes, of course, but spiritual and physical wisdom. And we've been honoring the physical body. We cannot neglect the spiritual soul either. And the soul needs to worship. It needs to gather, okay? And so ultimately, y'all, what happens in the gathering is is often nothing more than a picture of the gospel. As we see even here in this passage, the gospel that makes us come to life, the gospel that saves us, the gospel that will redeem us, the gospel that we will preach when we are in the kingdom of God eternally, the eternal gospel is displayed at the gathering. You see that as Nehemiah established this corporate worship so that they are able to gather together to worship God, but Jesus established a much greater place of worship, y'all. And in fact, he is building it right now so that we can come forever and dwell with our King and worship Him in community eternally, y'all. In fact, you see there in chapter 7, verse 4, that the city was large and wide, but it was fairly empty, it says. Jesus' future city will also be large and wide, but it will not be empty. All of the nations of God will be gathered together, worshiping the King of all kings. Just as Nehemiah saw the true Israelites in the genealogy there, so Jesus, too, will find the true believers written in his book of life and he will read off your name and you will feel the blood of Christ wash over your soul and you will be worshiping forever because of that. He invites us into worship to hear the word, to see the word. In fact, Jesus is a better governor than Nehemiah who will reign forever as our benevolent king and he's a better priest and a scribe than uh, Ezra because he is actually the fuller word of God himself. You see, uh, the scribes like Ezra, they would write down and they would teach the word of God but Christ Christ is the word of God, living and active amongst us. Chapter eight, verse one says that they were gathering as one man, as one man, like one man. Christ actually makes us one man as we are underneath his headship, one body together with him. In Ezra chapter, or in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse four, we see Ezra. And look at that passage real quick there. If you still have your Bibles, 
Ezra chapter eight, verse four, it says that he is on a wooden platform above the people made to proclaim the goodness of our God. Christ is also placed on a wooden platform hung up above the people made to crucify and yet still proclaim the goodness of our God. And as these people had no home, so too we Christians do not have a home truly until we are finally at our eternal home where Christ is preparing for us right now and as we gather together it is in shadows and fragments yes but it is still foreshadowing what is to come nonetheless and it makes our souls long for what they will become y'all we will become what God has made for us to be the perfect image of him and he forms that even here on earth Jesus is the better Ezra the better Nehemiah the greater gatherer the reason why we worship the one that we long for long for Jesus y'all let your hearts long to worship this God. And so listen, there's a greater mission that is in front of us right now. And ultimately what we pray is that each of us would find our place in the story of God and walk in that and proclaim his goodness to others. You see, Nehemiah invites all these families in. They start finding their place and they're proclaiming God as they're walking in obedience. And so we want to do that as a church. We want to be a resourcing church and bless others and plant churches here and across the globe that others would be able to come together to worship King. And what we hoped we'd be doing right now is building a building. And we ain't doing that right now yet, okay? We're still hoping for that, all right? But we're trying to find a place to gather right now. And so pray towards that end because this is important as the rest of this book will show us. But ultimately, even though we are not yet gathering, we still see the mission and vision of God amongst us. And we believe because of God's provision for us this past year that he wants to accomplish many more things through us y'all. He wants to use you and he wants to use your family to be a part of the greater mission of God. And so let's be a part of changing the world, y'all. No, let's be a part of changing eternity. Amen? Amen. 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 I love you guys. Hey, man, let's pray together. Let's pray. Oh, man. Jesus, thank you. Uh, Thank you for being the greater the greater Nehemiah, the greater uh, Ezra, the greater gatherer of God's people, the greater temple, the greater place of worship, we will one day be in your presence, Jesus. We thank you for that and we long to, to showcase that even today. And God, until we can do that, I pray that we would still be the temple of God. Each of us as individuals displaying worship to our King. Would we be in uh, obedience to you, Spirit of God, and what you are putting on our hearts? God, I pray for those who do not know you. I pray that they would come into the house of God. Friends, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, if you are unsure where you stand with God, I want you to know that the invitation is open today. He says to come in amongst the people of God. Christ was put up on that wooden platform to proclaim to you the goodness of God, that though our sins are many, his grace is more. And you are able to come in if you accept that gift and be amongst the messy, but the people of God that are becoming like the beautiful, perfect king. Would you join us? Would you join God? Become his son and daughter even today. And God, I pray for those of us who have accepted that gift, who have become your sons and daughters. I pray that we would long for the word of God to wash over us. That we would read your word, not out of task or duty, but out of delight because it points us to you, our King. 
Would we long to gather? Would we long to do what we were made to do, which is worship you, our God? So even right now, when we do that in an even more fragmented sense than we normally do when we are gathering together here on our phones or our TVs, would our hearts truly worship? Would we sing for our own souls even, for the worship and the exaltation of your name as we are being transformed into your image? Would that be what we practice even here as we end? And as we move forward, would we forever, forever, forever be about that as a church? We love you, Father God. We thank you for your salvation. And God, I pray that we would sing of and remember even right now your promises, which never fail us because you never change. And you always, your word will always come true. Let us believe that, Father God. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Spirit of God, for being amongst us. We pray this in your beautiful, your triune name. Amen.